What's going on, Canes fans? We are back with another episode of All Canes Podcast. Harry, what's good, man? We won. We won. We won. Can you believe that? Uh, you know what? It was a great night. I mean, the fact that we won was outstanding. The team played well, and we were celebrating the 2001 20th anniversary. So greatest I got team to ever. do some, the greatest team ever, no doubt in my you mind. You were big time, man. I seen you, know? you up in the box and stuff I, like that. You were hanging out, out there. And Friday you went night, to there, all the there VIP was a, parties. Friday night, there was a, a great party at Tank that was really cool. And uh, I want to be like you when I grow up. You're you're days. you're doing just fine, man. You're doing just fine. I'm gonna try to be there one of these you know, days. Thirty years of paying my dues, bud. There you go. You know, I've been paying my dues. I think, yeah, but not kind thirty of? years worth. No, 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 not yet. Not. I mean, you're not even thirty yet, hardly. I'm almost forty. What are you talking are you about? Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the forty. There you go. Appreciate that. Cheers. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we celebrated the 2001 national championship team at the game. Arguably the best team ever. So we figured we'd have uh, one of these studs from that team on today. I wanted to go with um, what I feel like we relate because I feel like I can call him token just like I was token. <laughs> you know okay. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got you. I think okay, I... what am I talking about? You tell me, Let me... No, 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 you no, say no. you got it. You think you're smooth, go. Because he's one of the um, lighter uh, defensive ends? Or you tech? could just say he's the only white guy in the defense. Mm, yeah, he might have been. On the 2001? Yeah, I guess you're right. Once. Right? Once Dan left, yeah, once Dan left. Once Dan uh, was gone, Thunder Dan yeah. was out of there. So you hear that voice, that's Matt Walters, defensive tackle from the 2001 National Championship team. Matt, how you doing, brother? Doing good, guys, doing good. See, you didn't, like, you, you didn't like the name Token? Black punter, huh? white guy uh, on defense? You know, I, I, just, yeah, it, also, I, I was the Token, I'll, I mean, I'll admit it. They, the, the team even had a good time with it. I mean, my, I was, grandma, she, my grandma can't even see, but she could watch me play because I was the only, you know, <laughs> legs out there on the, on the field. I figured there had to be some jokes with it. I figured there had Why to not? be like, listen, yeah. you have to be a stud if you're starting on that defense and it's only white guy. Like, like he stands out. Normally it's like, oh, it's a white DB, Jason Seahorn. Like, how's he a DB? He's white, you know? Like, oh, how's he a black punter? I don't, I don't have no idea. Anytime you see Matt, boom, Matt stood out. Number 91. Token. I mean, I'll take it. I think stud is a generous word, though. On <laughs> I mean, that team, there were some studs. There, there were some studs. You played uh, on that team. He played on that team. But wait, he was involved in one of the most famous plays ever at the University of Miami. Well, that is the biggest play of that season. Absolutely. So walk us through that play that everyone, I think, knows about at Boston College, but we'll hear it in your words. Well, the, the good part is there's mainly, I mean, there was three of us really involved in that play. Well, 11, if you include everybody plays on every play, but... Uh, I just remember, I mean, I, I know it was toward the end of the game and um, we were all pretty tired and Boston College, every time we played Boston College, we knew it was going to be a good game. Everybody's like, ah, you know, they're ranked in the second half of the top 25. But man, as far as we were concerned, I knew their offensive line was always the best offensive line we always played. Um, they obviously had a, not, a great quarterback in Matt Ryan. Um, and then they also had a solid defense. Like I, I remember we always watched film as a team and then we went and watched it as like individual position groups. And like, it was no surprise to us that Boston college was good, but um, you don't want to be in that position in a game where you kind of got your backs against the wall. You got to make a stop or you're going to, in that case, you know, we were undefeated, maybe looking forward a little bit to playing a national championship. Uh, and next thing you know, you're feeling the pressure because you're, you're about to get beat in a hostile environment in a way game. And I just remember we were all just kind of like, it was just a tough game. We were all a little bit tired. And um, in that particular play, um, 
I know that, like, like I said, their offensive line is really good, and they're very good at getting defense linemen on the ground, especially us, because we we pride our spell, ourselves in being the fastest defensive line in the country. Even though we were big big boys, that's what we wanted to be known as our fast defensive line. And so, all week long, Coach Mark had us uh, more often than we normally would. He had us practicing drills where offensive linemen would dive at your legs just to try to get you on the ground, and you'd have to, you know, play with your hands push their face in the ground and keep, keep yourself up. And on that particular play, that's exactly what happened. And I remember the office lineman like diving at our legs and I put my hands perfectly on the back of the helmet and pushed his face in the ground. And I, for an instant there, I thought to myself like, yes, I did it right. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It just so happened that I was still on my feet and I turned around, you know, it was a quick throw. I turned around. And by the time I turned around, I just saw the ball like floating in the air. I didn't know what happened. Um, and I thought to myself, shit, like get it. And so <laughs> I grabbed it and, you know, I'm a big, at that, at that time, I'm 295, every bit of it, uh, late in the game, I'm tired. And when I took off running, I, I was just running to run out of bounds. Like I wasn't, I just remember that hey, get, get the offensive ball, like let them do what they do. Um, and I started running out of bounds and as I'm running out of bounds, Ed runs up next to me and he starts yelling like, Matt, it's Ed, it's Ed, it's Ed. And he kind of puts his hands around my arm and the ball and he doesn't pull on it at all. Um, and then he said, Matt, it's Ed, give it to me, give it to me. And then as soon as I like felt like he had it, I let go. And the next thing I know, like four or five Boston college guys like jumped on top of me and Ed had the ball and he was gone. Like there was a bunch of guys laying on the ground, tackled the guy without the ball. And then he was gone. And then by the time I got under out from underneath that pile of guys, I look up and he's just about crossing the goal line. And I'm, you know, still 50 yards back the other way. <laughs> you you heading to the uh, sideline for some oxygen. Yeah. Now, now I'm like, man, what, the, like, what the hell, man? Like I'm trying to run out of bounds. Now I got to run an extra 50 to go congratulate you. <laughs> I'm dying, man. That never happened in practice or anything else like that? Because you see you see Ed Reed, obviously, is one of the best safeties, if not the best safety ever to play uh, football in general. And he seems to have a knack for that type of play. So I wouldn't say it never happened in practice. We wouldn't do that. But, yeah, we'd pitch the ball, like, on a turnover. You know, there's times in practice if the defensive scores, man, we don't have – we get off the field, if that makes sense. Like, on one on, on team drills and stuff like that, if we can cut the play short, you know, Green Tree, man, it's, yeah, hot, for sure. it's hot as hell. It's the worst. Like, just trying to get out of practice. And coach will make deals like, hey, defense gets a turnover, defensive scores, you know, practice is over. So, yeah, I mean, stuff <laughs> would happen. You know, we play the pitch game. And so it wasn't that, that it never happened before, but in that scenario, that was a little bit unique um, because that basically was the game. You know, we, we were about to lose, and then – that play happened where it started off with Mike Ruff making a great play. Yeah. You know, he jumped a, he jumped a, a, a quick route and it, I mean, he hit it so fast. He didn't even turn, he didn't even get a chance to, to like get his hands on the ball, it went off his leg and up into the air and into my hands. And so I, I think, like I said, there's three guys involved on that play. Mike started it. I was in the middle. And then Ed finished it. Great so, team defense. Don't right? say the name Mike Ruff. The fans might get a little upset for no reason over here. We can say Mike. It was a great <sighs> play. You know, but but that was a game where Ken Dorsey might have had his worst game ever as a Hurricane. He had four picks in that game. Which, if it wasn't for those picks, you guys wouldn't have been close in that game. And you were also having to get field goals instead of touchdowns when you got in the red zone. You couldn't complete the touchdown. 
So it really See, made it a close game. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, unless you sat down and watched the film on Boston College, like, you would think that that's kind of a fluke that they got four interceptions or that they were able to stop our high-power offense, you know, to hold us to field goals. But it wasn't. Like, those guys were good. And I remember, like, you can ask any coach to this day. You can walk up to Greg Mark. You can walk up to Art Kehoe. You can walk up to a lot of our coaches and say, hey, what game every year did you know was going to be a dogfight, even though, you know, the rankings or whatever you stack the team up against – it wasn't going to be and they, always in Boston college. When they came down here, it was always a different story. When I say they came down here, when they came down to Miami, it was always a different story because it was always so hot and muggy. Um, like it was a dog fight in the first half. And then you could tell when they walked out of the locker room and they hit that, you know, that air, you got to chew. It's just to swallow it. Like you could tell like, that that suffocated them. And so that when they were in Miami, it was a little bit of a different game, but every time we had to go to Boston college, like we knew we were in for yeah, like a I, I was at a couple of those games up in Boston College might, where might have to they do were with that good. That big old crown on the field and the AstroTurf they had up there. Yeah, you know, back in those Damn. days, you know, you talk about how things have changed. Back in the day, the team would go to the field on the road and do kind of a walkthrough. We we well you guys did? We didn't. We would get off the plane and go walk the field just to go look at the stadium. Right, but and they, then they don't go. do that anymore though. They don't go straight from the airplane. I don't think so. I think they they there's no longer walkthroughs on that field anymore. I don't think so. But I know back in the day we used to do that, you know, and Boston College is one of those fields. Like you said, it did have a crown. And, you know, you go to some of these fields and it's funny because you get on that side and you get taught. I mean, you're literally you can't see the feet. Yeah. It really is kind of an interesting thing. Are the fields that way still or or, no, 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 no. no. I mean, there's there's no AstroTurf anymore. It's field turf or you have natural grass. But I mean, technology, you better not have a crown on your field. I know some of the best road trips I ever went on with Boston. I mean, Boston's yeah. a great town, I and it, you know it's miserable. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So, how does a how does a win like that? How did that carry you guys throughout the year? Did that type of play like stick out the rest of the year, where you say we don't need to be any more dogfights? Or when you guys, I think it was the last game of the year against V Tech, was a one point win. Was it like something as far as we've already been here before? Uh, we got this, no matter what. I mean, you guys are both college football fans, and I am now. Now that I'm not playing, I'm more just of a fan. Uh, every season, the team that wins the national championship or whatever, they always have that one close call Facts. game where they got to, yeah, it's almost like you got to get through that. It's like you got to pay your passage or whatever, and you got to fight through that to make, make, to save that season or to, you know, to not get that mark on your on your resume that now it's a little different with the playoffs. So back then, you know, we, we just experienced it the year before where we beat Florida state and they got to go to national championship, even though we had one, just because we had one yeah, dumb yeah. loss right. at the very beginning of the season. You didn't even have a uh, loss. Oh, you had the, yeah, the, the, the Washington, Washington loss. Yeah. But Washington, yeah, we lost the first it, was, it all came down to the Louisiana tech or whatever we played in their computer rankings and stuff like that. But when you lose, to a computer when you beat someone head to head and they go ahead of you, it's like how you got ripped off two out of three years. Yeah. Because I mean, it sucked for us because by the time we played Florida state, you know, they were whatever two and we were four or whatever it was two and five or whatever it was. And and now that they have a loss to like to the number three team and they're the number two team, it doesn't count. It doesn't count against them. Even though it was head to head, it was us. And so I was like, man, that's such bullshit. It was so awful. We definitely Florida's ass, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we carried that chip on our shoulder all year. I, I um, would have done that too. I mean, that was so, just, you know. I mean, realistically, uh, you would have beat Washington if there was five more minutes left in the game because you had come out of that slow start and you were just 
you know, dominating that, the second. That was the weirdest game. I think we all just felt weird. You know, we were on the West Coast. It was a three-hour time difference. There was so much about that that was like just like a haze. The whole team was like in a haze for a little while. And I remember uh, that halftime, like all of us like looking at each other, like, come on, man, like what, like let's play. Like what is going on? And then obviously you saw the second half, we came out and we were playing like we we were making up for playing the whole game. But you know, Um, you you talk about that. You look at the last two games, not this last one, we just won against NC State, but the Virginia game and um, the game after that, North Carolina, North Carolina, we have a very slow, cumbersome type of, crappy first half and we come out of the second half and play great if you could continue that for four quarters and maybe even three quarters you know we're talking about a whole different record yeah uh, don't get i don't started. disagree with you and i don't know i mean i'm looking back at that one washington game or even some other games in my career that i played that kind of had that feeling um i don't know what the magic answer is to be uh playing at that same high, high level at the first snap, um, you kind of got to get into a game. I don't care what game it is, but usually it's one or two series and then you're getting in and you're rolling. But sometimes that fog just takes a little bit longer to get over. And again, I, 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 you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's practice during the week was so hard that you're still recovering. I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, can agree I, with, I can agree with that with you guys, with the practice be so hard and you're still recovering. I can't agree with that with this, this team. Yeah, no, so, I've, man, that, that brings us to a good point, and it pisses me off. I've heard, and you guys know better than me because I just, I'm not a practice, but, man, I, I just heard it's, you know, first of all, uh, and this is just like a little chip on my shoulder, you don't have two-a-days anymore. Facts. Zero two-a-days. I think we had 21 yep. two-a-days. Mm-hmm. We used to count that calendar. Um, two, they don't tackle very much at all. Right, they cut down all the contact days. So there's, you know, in shells or something like that. We didn't stop contact till like week eight. Like (laughs) even when I was playing in the NFL, man, we it was like week twelve we stopped tackling and practice, just because like by that time everybody's pretty beat up and like you're like, dang man, if you tackle me, I might not get up. (laughs) Well, that's that's a big question. And, And look, everybody bitches about Miami can't tackle and they're leading and whatever, but. You've seen it. If you listen to NFL, you listen to even other college games, you hear that tackling's become an issue. And a lot of people are saying it's because of the lack of actual contact drills. But they're trying to save careers and, you know, get people healthy. And I kind of get that. But I'm concerned that people are getting hurt because they're not able to tackle correctly or, or, or not as used to it. I, I, totally, I totally agree with that. Now, did we have injuries back 15 years ago? Yeah, we did. Uh, we still got them today, I right? actually don't think we had as many as we do now. I mean, we had more. I, I want to say there was more nicks and stuff like that where, you know, a guy would hurt an ankle, twist a wrist, something like that, and keep going. But now it's almost like an injury is a blown-out knee, a blown-out shoulder. Yeah. It's almost like every, every time somebody gets hurt, like they're done for the season. It's kind of the bigger, uh, stronger, faster scenario where these guys are just so much stronger and faster when they hit you. I look at it like this and – from the d- defensive guys that I know and they tell me, you have to practice like you're going to play. Right. There is no switch. It's not like going to say, oh, I'm going to go run 70% in practice and all of a sudden I'm going to go sprint 100 miles an hour in the game. It doesn't work like that. You have to practice 100 miles an hour. You're going to play like 100 miles an hour. Now, all of a sudden you're throughout the whole entire week going 70. Okay, boom. My knees, my ACLs, my PCLs, my MCLs, they know 70. Next thing you know, you're trying to go full speed and all of a sudden your Achilles pops. 
It's because you're not practicing that way. If you don't train that way, you don't practice that way, you're not going to play that way. Then if you try to play that way, something's going to pop. That's how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I, I kind I, you know, I agree with that scenario you just said. Uh, but, and again, back when, in those years that I was playing at Miami, it was practice at 110% or you didn't play. I mean, uh, I, I remember dudes because, getting knocked out with spiders on. I mean, that's just a little cushion yeah, in yeah. the helmet. Dan Morgan, when he yeah. played and went to the pros, he was getting hurt practicing because he practiced too hard, you know. And but that's the kind of player, 110 percent all the time. There was no off time, you know. And I, 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 it's funny you say that because I remember when I went up to, I got drafted by New York, went up there and played, and the coaches said they love drafting Miami guys. And at the time, it was me, Santana, John Vilma, and then Daryl McGlover, too. I mean, come you know, on. After a couple of years. And come on. They always had to tell us at practice, like, hey, you Miami guys, slow down. Exactly. You know, it's, it's Friday. Slow down. And I like, coach, like, that's all we know. Right. It's full speed. And it wasn't that – it wasn't that, like, we were just trying to toughen ourselves up. The fact is, if I had a bad week at practice or if I wasn't practicing hard, Vince Wilfork was going to get the reps in the game. Like, and that's the way it was at every position. And even like you look at, like we were talking about Ed earlier. Hey dude, if Ed didn't practice hard or if Ed was, you know, effing up plays in practice, Sean was going to get the reps in the game. That's just the way it went. Like it was, that's how, that's how much we pushed each other. Um, and that's why I think we, we won 34 in a, in a row. I, we won that. We lost that Washington game. Um, and then we won out the rest of that season. Then we, 2001 came, we won all those games. And then 2002 came, we won all those games until we, you know, we lost that controversial game. Even and then losers were robbed. Robbery in the desert. Yeah, I mean, we were obviously, yeah, it was a sucky call, but we should have never put ourselves in the position where it came down to a call. Right. Like that. Well, that's kind of always time. the way it is. You can never say one call is the reason you lost the game, although I would say that's yeah. one reason you lost the game, but. That that one was pretty. Yeah, that was pretty. That's pretty. That was pretty well, I was I was kidding Larry and, and Diane the other night at the at the uh, game, and we were talking about well, we won for twenty seconds. You know, we saw oh, fireworks. We went on yeah. the field. You know, so well, you know. You know what made me feel a little bit better about that? They they had like a uh, uh, ESPN special or something like that. They were going over like the worst ten calls or twenty calls in football history or something like that. And it was just I don't even know if it was like a program or something, but. We, I think we were like t- either the top worst call or the second worst call was it, that call. It has to but be. That made me feel a little better. It yeah. has to be. And so, then even if you go back to what was it, in the 80s where we had the other the worst call with, with North, uh, Notre Dame. And Notre Dame. Yeah. It's like you, you get, yeah. you, we could have literally had seven well, national championships you, you right think now. about this, okay? Realistically, we won four between 83 and 93, decade of dominance, as they called it. We lost two. That's six out of 10 years, okay? Got robbed. If we don't fumble that, if that fumble doesn't get called a fumble or whatever it is, we probably play for a national that year. And there was another year that we were involved in it, but we, you know, didn't win the bowl game or whatever it was. So, I mean, we were like eight out of ten years in the hunt for the national title. That's impressive. So, man, hey, that brings up such a great point. And then people wonder why uh, Miami fans are disgruntled with these. Well, look, I, I understand why they're disgruntled, but I still say this, and I'll say it until I die, Okay. 83 to 93 was a f- sports miracle in the sense that Miami was able to dominate three different coaches and be able to play at that level at that time because we're a small school, small fan base, 
lousy facilities back in those days, but we were able to get it. And each player and the player after him and the player after him just kept that alive, working harder, pushing one another. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's, it's got to start with the players deciding they're going to put the effort in. It's up to the coach. I mean, we kept changing coaches. We kept winning. And they go, oh, he won with his players. Oh, he won with his players. He won, you know. But the point was is those players had built a desire, a, a, a demand that they're going to hold one another accountable and they're going to play 110% at practice and it replicated on the field. There were no off days. In fact, I, you know, I've heard the story from 100 different guys. We couldn't wait till Saturday because it was a day to, a day off in a lot of cases. Yeah, that was the easiest day of the week, was Saturday. And yeah. like, man, that's another one. Another one. Like, it's hard. I, like, it's easy to sit back and like and and kind of point fingers at coaches and do that. And I, I try not to. I mean, there's calls that are made, and you're like, man, why are they? You know, why are they doing that in this game situationally? Uh, we would never do something like that. But um, I, I will say that. It's hard for a coach just to motivate players on their own. It's got to come from your other players, your teammates motivate each other. Um, and I, I think Harry, we talked about it just real quickly at the game. Like I, I think we talked about Van Dyke, like he threw an interception at the end of the game the week before. And, you know, he was on the sidelines, he was hurt. And I think every true Miami fan, wasn't upset about the interception. We were more happy that somebody actually felt like they had the heart in it. Like it mattered to them more than that. Actually the bad play, it just mattered to them. And I mean, look, the guy comes out and plays excellent the next week. Like you could tell, like but, but, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. What was even cooler bad. about it is he was talking some trash during the week and, uh, you know, had those yeah, NC yeah, State yeah. guys a little fired up. Yeah, you know? I'm glad yeah, he yeah, exactly. delivered. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Pardon my French, but if if I got my ass beat in a game, there was trash talking going on. There was more trash talking going on in those those teams from '98 that I played on to '02, and we were joking about it with Kehoe, with you know between the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen, and just every day, and not like trash talking. I mean, we were just motivating each other. Like, man, like if if the offensive line got their ass kicked the week before. Like we would let them know and we're going to tell them, we're going to come practice. We're going to kick your ass. And that would piss them off. And they would, you know, they would buck up and, and, and block us all week in practice. And then lo and behold, they go to the games. They dominated that next week. Most of the time dominated. They had some characters so, though. I mean, you know, D Lou and Vince and McDougal and Andrew Williams and offensive line Myers and, and Romberg. I mean, I can see why y'all had battles and talked a lot of shit because you guys had a lot of big personalities on your team. Yeah. Personalities. And there's just a lot of talent. I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> practicing against guys like that, you know, like Chris Myers and Joaquin and Brian McKinney, who never give up a sack. I mean, it's crazy. You, you practice against that guy for, three years and then you go to the league and like, it's a lot easier yeah, <laughs> when you go to the league. You're like, man, you're supposed to be going to the best of the best. And you're like, man, God, I'm glad I don't have to practice against him anymore. And this is like easier. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> so let's take it all yeah. the way back to high school. Right. So you're a Florida boy, right? You went to high school in Melbourne, Florida, I believe it was. And you know, you, you look at Miami, the time you're getting recruited is kind of the time of the sanctions and Miami's what, coming off 97, five and six. Yeah. I think it was. Man, everybody asked me the question, why did you choose Miami over Texas, Florida, Florida State, um, Clemson? 
Um, these are, those are the teams that were recruiting me hard. And, uh, I, I just remember like Miami, I wasn't even going to take a visit to Miami, which is obviously I'm glad I did and everything worked out the way it did and couldn't have made a better choice. But, um, I remember coach Shannon came in the house, came into my parents' house, sat down and I could just tell that he was hungry and it was weird. And like, just like his passion, just sitting there, like having dinner with us and like on the couch, just talking to us about football. I was like, dude, this guy's like, he's passionate, man. Like I, there's something different about him. And I, like two days later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my last visit. I'm going to, instead of, you know, going to another school, I'm going to go down to Miami and just see what that's about. And I got down there and I think for whatever reason, since I live pretty close, you know, three hours, um, I was, I, I think I left cause I wanted to be early. I didn't want to be late. And I got there a little early and the first coach I met was Tommy Moffitt. Hmm. And, or yeah, I think it was time or one of the coaches and they, they took me to the weight room just uh whatever, like we're waiting for the rest of the guys to get in. Or I, I think my host was uh, Popovich and he was in there working out, whatever it was. Pop. Yeah. yeah Pop. And, and I went in there, man. And I saw those guys working out. Um, I saw Damian Lewis. I saw those guys working out and pushing each other. And man, it was a totally different experience than I, any other visit I went on where I saw the energy of the team. And I left there. It was a no brainer to me. I wanted to be part of what they had going on because I love, I loved the energy I felt in that weight room that day. Like I had never, I didn't see that at any other school that I went to visit and you could tell. And I mean, and it carried on like those guys wore the start that five and six season. And that next season that was, you know, with EJ and all the guys that we, I think we went like eight and four or whatever it was. That was a, that was the year we, the big game we won against UCLA. UCLA yeah. Um, uh, but that was, uh, I mean, that was the kickstart of really the guys taking ownership. When I say the guys, the players taking ownership of holding themselves accountable to be play the best they can and work as hard as they can. You know, and also holding the people that weren't doing their job accountable and making sure that they either stepped up or stepped out. Right. Exactly. Like I could tell, and uh, again, and during that workout, if I, they were finished working up and they had to go out and run at the end of the workout and the guys that weren't making their times, man, one, they were being encouraged, but also two, you know, that you could feel the pressure that they needed to make their times because nobody, that whole group of workout group didn't want anybody to fail in that group. And like, I, I felt that. And that, that, that same mentality carried on for four years. Like nobody, we encouraged each other to make our, you know, our times, if it was crazy team sprints or whatever it was, or in the workouts, Hey man, you got to get those last two reps. You ain't getting up till you get those. I'll help you. You got to get them. Um, and then it carry every, every, every little thing like that carries over into the big picture of being a better football player. You're a better football player than you're a better team. You know, it just, it just, it, it's the little details turn into big things. Oh, the good old days. You know what I'm saying? The good old days brings you back, brings you back to the good times. But let me, let me, let me get into some fun time. So Popovich was your host. He you, was. You, yeah. you remember what you did on your visit? Man, so this, again, going back to that, it was kind of a off-weekend visit. There wasn't a lot of guys. It wasn't one of the main weekends because I wasn't available on one of those main weekends. I had already committed to go to a different visit. And so I think there was only like six of us uh, in town uh, for that visit. Uh, so it was kind of a quiet weekend. I, we ended up going down to the Grove and hanging out, just doing normal stuff. A little sandbar uh, action, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you know, same stuff we did for the next four or five years. <laughs> 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 Got a taste of it, but no, it was all good. I had a great time with those guys. Uh, 
but again, like I said, it, it was a, and again, that, that's another thing that kind of sold me on Miami. I, they didn't try to sell me on the nice restaurant that we were going to eat at, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was an off weekend for them on recruiting visits. There wasn't 30 guys and they weren't trying to, you know, make a hype weekend with a bunch of big name guys coming in all together and, you know, trying to talk them all into coming all at the same time. Um, they didn't, that didn't sell me. What sold me was the, the, the my, what were going to be my teammates. I feel like I don't know if you can. Damn, it's sad. I don't know if you can say that to the generation. I don't. I don't know if that motivates them and sells them, right? I think it's only be flash and dash and yeah, all that I think excitement. It's more about and, like all the flashiness know, and the put on the uniforms and all the that turnover chain or whatever know? they're using. And and so, and I'm sure you guys have had other guys come on here. I, I, I hate that damn turnover chain, and I, I dislike even more of those, whatever you the rings or whatever. Yeah, we won't, we, we've talked about getting rid of those and melting those down. So, and I think the game's changed, and this is one of the pressures that we didn't have when I played. With social media the way it is now, now you got the nil. Everybody's kind of out to make a name for themselves, already at the college level now. Um you know, it's all about getting more followers. It's all about this and less of the team dynamic. Um, you weren't going to make a well, – honestly, the reason why that 2001 team had – I saw a picture posted somewhere. I had 17 first-round draft picks, 40 guys got drafted, however many Pro Bowl appearances, all pros, whatever it was. It's a, it's a crazy number. Um, it, it was because – we knew as a team, the better the team was, the better our chances of success at the next level were. If, I, if, if we have an awesome team, then that means every scout in the NFL is going to be down at our, our pro day. You know, if there's one or two guys down there, hey, it, why, why does a team that needs, you know, a quarterback going to send a scout down to watch somebody else? You know, if, if, if that's all they need, like, but in our case, our team was so good. We were so good at every position. Every team had three or four scouts there. And I remember when I got drafted by the jets, um, Teddy Cottrell, who was the defense coordinator at the time, you know, they didn't even need a, necessarily need a defense alignment. He was down there looking, you know, at, at, at another at linebacker, a different position, but then he just saw me practicing and going through my stuff. And he's like, dang, he's like, if this guy falls to me, he's like, I got to have him. I just got to have it. And so that's how it works. And I don't think the young dudes do that. And we say that to them all the time. Like when I've talked to some of the young guys, I'm like, listen, it's cool. Like, yeah, one stud's fine. But if you guys are great as a team, you're going to have every single GM executive scout down here at pro days, at practices. And when you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, and you're not draft eligible, all of a sudden you pop off and they're like, who's 52? I'll be like, oh, no, no, he's only a sophomore. Okay, let me put a note down there, number 52. And then they get their film. Like, you know, you brought up a, a guy that barely saw the field here as a, a linebacker, but was a, a um, special team stud and played awesome and got drafted by the Jets. And that was Daryl McGlover. Yeah. Yep. And, and I don't think dudes, do, I don't, they don't get that. Like, if you're great, there's going to be more eyes on everybody at the team. Yep. But if you have one dude, okay, cool, they have a quarterback. Why do I need, like you said, why do I need to come down and go see a quarterback? 100%. And I wish, I mean, if there was one thing I think that, speaking of that 2001 team, and we were just there for the reunion this week, uh, this week, this past weekend for the NC State game. Uh, man, if there's one thing, like if I could sit down and talk to that team and tell them 
and like it, I could make it sink in is there is no greater accomplishments in life than when you do things with other people as a, as a unit, as a team, they count for more than individual accolades. And here's proof of the pudding. You got guys like Ed Reed, you got, you know, you guys, Reggie Wayne, who, I, I, again, there's so many guys on that team, Edron and James, or, or that were part of that era yeah. of teams that probably would trade some of, you know, if they would trade some of those individual accolades to go back and play another season at the U with all of us together. And you can just tell, like when we get down there and we're together like that team reunion, you know, I, you can just, you can feel it from everybody, everybody who had great success, even in the NFL or didn't like, you could tell that like they relished that reunion just to well, have yeah. the guys back together. It's kind of like Ed Reed and, you know, Brian McKinney, they came back to, you know, play for that national title. And, and I've heard from many guys, including Ed and stuff that, you know, once you got in the league, it's a business. But playing at the it University is. of Miami yeah. was, like you said, they'd come back and trade that for any of those accolades or, you know, whatever, because it was a brotherhood. It was a it was dynamic time. It was a, a time where everybody pushed one another, but you had great successes as a team. Now you go to the NFL, you're on, you know, some guy's on the, the worst team in the league, someone's on the best, you know, but there's no united bond at that like you had at Miami. It's totally a different dynamic. It's all business. Like you said, it's, it's still fun. It's football, but it's not even close. And I, I we used to, I, I got very fortunate when I, not necessarily that I got drafted by the Jets. We weren't that great. <laughs> but yeah, you got drafted. still not. <laughs> no, nah, it's still not. It's a struggle. Hey, it's the Jets. But I, 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 no, nothing bad against the organization. I love the people I played with in there. But it was cool because we were in Jersey with the Giants. And um, we got to scrimmage. Every year we got to scrimmage the Giants in the preseason. We One, we scrimmaged them, and then two, we played a preseason game. And then three, sometimes we actually played a regular season game against them. And at the time, uh, when I was playing, you know, it, on the Giants, it was me and the other three guys, uh, Vilma, Moss, Santana, and then Daryl McGlover. And then on the Giants, you know, they had William Joseph, Jeremy Shockey, Daryl Jones, Antrell was over there. So, like, it was like a little Miami reunion when we had those games. And I could tell, man – Every single guy on both teams was kind of jealous of the little bond we had. Because um, guys would ask me, they'd come back, man, and they're like, man, you guys are tight. Like, we could just tell, you guys are tight. Like, even though they're on the other team. I was like, yeah, man, those, you know, those, those, are, my, those are my guys, man. Like, I feel, I feel like that college bond or that cop, because you spend so much time with each other kind of becoming men at that time in your life, that, that, that supersedes everything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. After it's That's pretty much what college is about it, you know, even if you're not an athlete, but you're kind of yeah. those are where you develop all these good and bad habits, I guess, right? Dudes hated Miami guys oh, back yeah. in the day in the locker room. They would hate on you, they would crack on you, and then all of a sudden you'd be like, Well, you mad you didn't go to the U? And how much, be like, how much yeah. money did Miami guys make for a long time there? Because, you know, every time oh. you'd bet one of those other guys that was on the other team and Miami was uh. winning and winning and winning, you know, then it kind of flies out. Me. Marvin Jones still owes me some money. <laughs> Damn Seminole. Damn Marvin. Hey, listen, you got to pay up. Pay you, up. You got to pay up your bets. I know. But yeah, man, I bet the Florida State game against him and Sam and all those guys every year. I, man, I was, I was sitting pretty for quite a bit of a couple of years there. Man, you know, and it's, and it's funny because I remember when I had a little brief stint with the Chargers. It was when, like, you know, Chargers in 07 where they had all everybody, LT, Sean Merriman, everybody. And everybody was cool except one dude. 
One dude, Sean Merriman. And I'm an undrafted punter, so I don't expect anybody to come come talk and hang with me or whatever. But he was the only dude that wasn't that wasn't cool. And then we were playing Arizona in preseason, and Trell was on Arizona at the time, and obviously we were cool uh, from the U. So we're doing warm-ups. There's Trell. Trell comes over. Yo, what's up, bro, man? And then Merriman's his boy, like his ace. They go to Vegas together and party. And he'd be, Merriman, hey, you know Brian Moreau? Oh, yeah, that's my boy right here from the U. And sh- Never talked to Merriman at all, literally, during the whole entire yeah. camp and offseason, whatever. Now he's and your bud. Now he's like, oh, okay, what's up? Yeah, that's what's up. That's good. And I'm like, damn, this dude don't want to say nothing to me. But that's the connection you have with, with dudes at the U. It's, it's a different. And I tell people all the time, I say, listen, you guys trying to have this brotherhood. You're forcing it. It's not forced over here. Like, dudes really love each other here. And I'm talking about dudes that didn't even play on the same teams and eras. Like, I mean, I know dudes from the 80s. Like, rest in peace, Cortez Kennedy was in my dancing class at the U and got to know him very well, and we became really cool. You know, it's like just different dudes and different eras. Like, once you're part of the U, you're part of the U, and it's it's real. And there's a brotherhood that, that outlasts anything that – you do, and and no, they they all want the you to be successful. We all do, and um, there's growing pains, there's there's frustrations, but you know it really is special to see it. And I've been around for thirty years, so I've seen it at all different levels. But you're right, when they get together, it the other night, I mean, those guys, it looked like they hadn't missed a beat. How was that? How was that uh, reunion for all you guys getting back together for the NC State game? And we got a win for y'all. I think that's because you guys were in the house, but I'm biased. Yeah, man. Honestly, dude, my my cheeks and my stomach still hurt because we laughed so much. And it's, man, we, I don't even know how to say it. It's when you, you have friends that you can, you know, go a couple years without seeing, or maybe we, interact a little bit on social media but then when you actually are in person with them and your your relationship friendship picks up exactly where it left off that's how that was for all 40 guys like the jokes the cracks everything that i almost felt like we just walked out of the locker room after practice and we're just on our way to eat dinner and like that felt like the whole night was like that like we were just joking on each other bringing up old scenarios in college and we had like a little group text going that like just even yesterday, man, had me almost in tears, just laughing so hard to myself because these guys are relentless, but like <laughs> all in good fun, like all in good fun, uh, but hilarious. And it just brought me right back. It just made me miss it. It made me one. It made me miss being around and with those guys, but then two, same time, it made me super grateful and thankful that I did have those years that we all had that tight bond together because as I get older, I realize now how how special that is and how hard that is to replicate. I, I mean, as a 40-year-old guy now, like, I'm, I'm never going to make – I don't think I can make friends like that again and put myself even through something like that together with a bunch of guys outside of maybe going into combat and military or something like that to where I could build a bond like that. Uh, and so I'm just thankful that I, that I, that I, that I got that and – I got friends for life. You know, like it's, I, was, I was Friday night. They they did this at tank, and you were there. I was there. Yeah, and Brett, man, you VIP okay, man. Okay. Look, look at you, look, big look. time. So, so Brett's our DJ, and he's playing some music, and, okay. and he, he puts on a little Phil Collins in, in the, the air tonight. Now everybody gets hair, you know, the hand, now, the now, hair, and your arm uh, stand up. Right, but here's the thing: Ed Reed singing word to word. 
Hundred Hills singing word to word. Daryl, jo- I mean, so you, I'm, I'm videoing this, and I, I think Dime Life did a good job of getting that out there. But they're all singing the words, and, and and like I said, it was a goosebump hair standing up. I mean, it was like tears in your eyes, saying these guys get it. They understand what that meant. They heard that song over and over in the OB, and 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 when that song came on. You know, or Van Halen right now. You, you some of those songs yeah. just bring you back to that moment. But to see Ed Reed say those word for word, it was just one of those moments that I'll never forget. Every time one of those songs comes on, it does that to me. And and, and it's not even like bringing back a big like playing a game or anything like that. Those songs came on while we were stretching pregame. Right. But like the adrenaline that we had going into a game like it made the hair stand up on your arms just because that's how excited we were. I think we play in there tonight like with 20 minutes to go before the kickoff. It's like, dude, that should be the song coming before they come out. Yeah, but you have to do it as far as the guys are stretching so you're getting in the you're getting okay. in the zone. Okay, if you do it okay. when we're in the is locker really? room, it's not going to work. Right, okay. Like you're able to sit there, take in Maybe the song. Maybe play it twice. Yeah, but that's gonna nah, that'll ruin it. That'll yeah, ruin a lot of our it. fans are in the stands twenty minutes ahead of time. Yeah, no, no, we don't, don't. The fans don't worry about the fans. It's about the players. Man, so, man that, that, Harry, that brings up another thing. He's <laughs> <laughs> getting frustrated. <laughs> well, man, this ain't this ain't it. This isn't at a particular person, player. Like I, I'm not. I mean, I I feel I feel for the guys out there because well, there's two things I feel for the guys out there. One, I know how hard they work. Like I know how much effort those guys are putting into workouts and like being on green tree in the middle of the summer. Now they're not doing two days, but still a one a day on green tree is hard. Yes, it is. Uh, and so two things really get me. One is the targeting oh. that they call now uh, because, you know, you, a guy gets to play 10 games in a year and they kick him out for an entire game because he made a mistake and put a, you know, a duck his head at the last second, which is like a natural move you do. So I, I just wish they would, you know, call out a 15-yard penalty, and if you do it twice, then you're out. Something like that. You know, I, I just I feel I like that's overly harsh. Um, but then, too, what I was really getting at is we play in Sunlight Stadium now, and it's the atmosphere in Sunlight, even if it was full, would never match the atmosphere that was the Orange Bowl um, because everybody – it's a pro stadium – it's kind of set up to tailgate. You got nice parking lots, all that kind of stuff. People don't get to the stadium early. They get last minute. They'd rather be out tailgating than in there doing anything else. But when Brian, you know, man, at the Orange Bowl, there was nothing. Like you parked in somebody's front yard. Twenty dollar no blocking. Forty dollar no blocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ACC Network has a thing on about the Orange Bowl, or you know, the, I don't know if you Tonight, saw it. Yeah, eight yeah, p.m. Okay, yeah. So, so you remember some of those things he's talking about, you know, you, you uh, who, I forgot who was saying it because I just saw the preview of it, that, you know, you park, I guess it's Joseph Gacky or somebody, you park your car and you're hoping that it's there when you get back, right. you know? And, well, I, and I had always parked in somebody's yard, and, and the last time that I parked in somebody's yard or off a parking spot, uh, it was for the, the Orange Bowl game, we were playing Nebraska. This was in like 93, I think it was, okay. 94. And I parked my car in this church parking lot. And I come back and I'm taking Mark Caesar back to the campus. And my car got broken into. So they broke a window out. Then they tore the back seat out. And back in the day, I had I, I, my wife had her purse. I had a clutch with my phone. Whatever it was is all in there and all gone. So, you know, now you got to pay for a 
window. You got to get all this new stuff. But yeah, so after that, I said, I'm buying tickets and I got parking inside, you know, in, inside the stadium from that point on. But, but I, I, and I never got blocked. Because I used to go to the Dolphin games too. I used to take control to the last Dolphin game there, and I got blocked. That I was like an hour before I could leave to go. You know, like you're so mad. Oh, you know, it was the last Dolphin game there too. So yeah, there were some great memories at the Orange Bowl though. Well, and I think because of the way the stadium was, like people, one there wasn't a lot of you do tailgate, but it wasn't a lot. I remember when our bus would pull in there because there were so many fans right there. That's when we'd start getting hyped. Yeah, like they would like shake the bus. Like as we drove by and then you could that, that start shaking on the bus, man, that brings back, that's making the hair on my arm stand up right now <laughs> because that's when like you hit that button on your CD player and you play that hype song that you love. And that, that also on. scared the shit out of the people that came in from the other team when you started doing yeah. that or throwing things at the bus or giving them the, the number one finger yeah. with your middle finger. Well, and, and, and they weren't hanging out in the parking lot, just tailgating all day when we'd be out there stretching or warming up, you know, there'd be 20 or 30, 40,000 fans in the stadium and you could feel the energy. And well, maybe that's why we started faster. I don't know, but it's just different. You know, it's just different. The Sun Life is a, it's a pro stadium. It this, I, you could sit right next to me, Harry. And I, 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 you know, I got to yell four feet just for you to hear me. Well, you'd have to ask Where Paul to the bar. It was a different feel. You know, you uh, had the, the, I, op the open end zone where, you know, they used to have the Hurricane Club uh, tailgate party. So we would stand yeah. behind the hedge there and watch you guys warm up. We'd talk to some of you guys, and, yeah. and it was just a, a different atmosphere. And like you said, you know, because there wasn't necessarily a lot of room for tailgating, a lot of people went, and they went into the stadium, and, and they really enjoyed watching the teams warm up yeah. and, and, and do that sort of stuff. too. So that was part of the, the ritual that people went through. That was part of it. The student section was right there behind our bench, man. That was part of the fun of playing in my in the Orange Bowl is my friends are yelling at me during warm-ups. And, you know, and I look and see them. I can actually hear them at that time. You know, right. and that's part of the fun and part of it. And I got, honestly, I, I got a little bit jealous a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was more toward the beginning, first, first or second week of the college football season. Um, because of COVID last year, you know, I, there, all the stands were restricted. There wasn't full games. I think they showed uh, it was on ESPN. They showed uh, the Inter Sandman video yeah, in, in right. Virginia Tech. Yeah. yeah, and they and then they, oh, they showed the jump. They they do the jump thing at Wisconsin. Uh, man, that was like, gosh, man, that that was the feel that the Orange Bowl had back then. It had that kind of a. Uh, energy to it that like some of these college stadiums still well, have. And, and that was mainly for the big games too, Matt. There were plenty of games, even games when we were having that 2001 season where, you know, there was 40,000 people. There is, yeah, but, it's Miami. Miami's an event <laughs> town. Because like 2017, it, 2017, man, at Hard Rock Stadium when we played Notre Dame, I can promise you Whoa. it was as loud is the Orange Bowl ever was. Now, no, the no, best, no, no, okay. no, no, no. It was no. pretty damn close. It, it, it was number it was three. Different, it was okay. number three on my list of loudest games I've been involved okay. in. Well, the good news was is the stadium didn't shake and you didn't get scared that something was going to fall on you. Well, I've never uh, been in the stands for that, so I don't know about the Orange well, Bowl was, in that there sense. There were times it was pretty scary. The one time the that I was in the Orange Bowl that it was packed and I was a fan and it was crazy was on an unofficial, and I came down here for the Miami FSU game uh, Badia wide left. They ran out of water the in the stadium. Yeah, 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 that was. It was literally, I don't know, a hundred degrees, oh, yeah. and that place was going berserk. Yes, it was. And I'm like, 
Yep. I'm coming here. Remember, I mean, they, they bring those stands in for the, yep, the big the games. Back. and They, they, they close all the yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, look, the, no one can ever say the Orange Bowl didn't have atmosphere. And, I mean, the, I guess the good news, bad news was is we didn't put 70,000 fans for the Dolphin and the Hurricane games every game because if it did, it probably would have fallen down on us. <laughs> I mean, there were times you sat under that, you know, upper deck and pieces of – cement would fall or you know you'd be by the bathrooms and stuff would be leaking on you and you weren't sure if that was water or, or something else and uh yeah it was, it was you know there was some yeah. interesting times there i just like you said I, I think there's been some games where the atmosphere has been really good at miami but i just wish uh, I, I wish it was that way more often oh i agree yeah. you know oh, and, and look you know it's the winning or the fans winning or the fans which one comes first but I will tell you, if you went back and did the, the, the homework on it, games where we have 50,000-plus at the Orange Bowl and or at, at the Hard Rock, our winning percentage is a lot higher than we had less than that. Oh, and, uh, you know, getting that home field advantage, and, you you know, you watch, and, and, I, and I say this all the time, why would you, if you're a top recruit, want to play in front of 40, even 50,000, when you can play in front of 100,000 or 80,000 people? And that's for any game. You feed off the fans, you feed off your teammates. I mean, we've already talked about teammates, like, but part of it is too, you feed off the fans. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we were not playing that great. And you go sit on the bench and you got the student section behind you, like ripping you, like your own friends. You hear it. You yeah. hear every word in the book. Now, now the students are on the other side of the stadium. They can't even tell it, you know? Oof, so, man, uh, you yeah, hear it. I had my two nephews. There, one of them goes to UM. He's a pitcher. I was just going to bring that up. I was going to talk about it. you got you know a connection well, at UM still. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully two connections soon. But anyways, I just you know they asked they got to go to the games as a kid. They were going to my Miami games, and now they're here at Miami, and they they were old enough when they were going to kind of understand like the atmosphere. Um, and they're just like, man, it's a little different now, Uncle Matt. I was like, yeah, it's a little different. No, it, <laughs> I, was like, I wish it, you guys it, were experiencing kind of it, the same. It's but, a lot uh, different. But, yeah. you know, going back to when you were there, you were very fortunate because team was winning. Okay. Yeah. And winning, yeah. you know, people have to understand something that Miami has a small student body and that there are more Miami fans that are fans of the winning that occurred from 83 to 93 and then that little run in 2000. Then there are real fans that, you know, I'm an alumnus, my son's an alumnus or whatever, and you're always going to be a hurricane. They can jump in and jump out. Um, winning should not be the only reason you go to a game or support a team, whether it's baseball, basketball, or football. And those, you know, those kind of bandwagon fans, as I call them, you know, like in the business I'm in, you know, the bandwagon fan makes us a profitable year. The regular fan keeps us in business. But, you know, when you yep. have yep. the big game or you have the big season, like 2017, the last one we had, everybody jumps on that wagon, you know, and it, now it becomes the thing to do. Uh, Miami's always been an event town. If you're playing Florida State, if you're playing Notre Dame, I mean, the other big game that I went to was 89 Notre Dame game. And that, that was a crazy night. And, and, yeah, it was loud. Uh, four or five. Yeah, you, you were still, you know, <laughs> kicking your nose or something, you know, kicking a soccer ball around the house, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, facts. that's facts. That's facts. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll say this. I'll say this about the stadiums. Nothing compares to the Orange Bowl, and I, and I get exactly what Matt's talking about is because that gave us that 
college feel to our stadium where we, we ran through the smoke at night. Nobody wanted to come to Orange Bowl and play Miami at night. It's kind of like what VTech enters and you got the bounce house and everything else like that. It had that mystique and that, man, dudes would be like, man, we got to go down to the to the Orange Bowl at night and they're going to put an extra stadium. Oh, man, we about to get our ashes smashed. And now it's like a pro stadium, as Matt says, it's made for the fans. It is like the luxury boxes and all the nice big cushion seats and all the bars and, and restaurants where they're like, man, you know, what was it, halftime? Nah, we can wait a little bit longer. Let's go eat a little drink a little right. bit more. There was no know? place to hang out at the Orange Bowl, man. There wasn't. If, if you hung out in the little hallways, I mean, you were squished like sardines, yeah. okay? Yeah, you know, you would go in there and try to get a hot dog or Coke or, or you know, and, and – and, it just it wasn't the same. And that's what I tell people all the time. They go, oh, there's nobody at your stadium. I go, please understand something. Whatever you see there, add 5,000 people to yeah. Because with all the inside luxury seating, the, the club seat area, the bar, restaurants, even even in the general concourse, you've got that big area with all those restaurants, big giant fans, especially you know the 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock games when it's hot out. People are in there watching it on a TV or, or cooling down. So there are people there. They're just yeah, not necessarily in your seats. Yep. That's an, I mean, that is the, essentially the point that me, I think me and Brian were all making is at the Orange Bowl, you sent one guy to go get your beers because there was no TVs. Yeah, like right. you didn't want to miss exactly. anything. And like you were in the stadium. For it. And so no. it's just, it's just different. And I'm not complaining. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice stadium, but it just doesn't feel like, like you said, if there's 20 or 30,000 people in that stadium, it doesn't feel like 20 or 30,000. It feels like 15 or 20 because of the way it's laid out and right. how it's kind of spread out it is. And I think that takes away a little bit from the college experience um, of it. And again, I, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of things that Here's go. another thing they do now, Matt, is they, a couple of years back, they decided, I guess two years ago, before COVID, I guess, they used to take the students up to the stadium early or the fraternity and sororities would get on their little, rent their little buses and take them up there, the school buses. And the stadium kind of got mad because they were having a lot of issues of kids not being able to go into the stadium because they'd had <laughs> five or 10 or 20 more drinks than they should have. So then damn right. Now, now they let the, the fraternity sororities party down here at frat row and they have party. I mean, literally starting at, I don't know, noon the other day. I mean, the music starts playing loud and they've got tents and they've got, you know, the whole place roped off and, and they have their on campus fun you know well, if i'm if i know correctly there's no tailgating for frats right. anymore at the stadium well, they got rid of the student parking lot yeah. okay so that's so a, they're that's doing a it basically reason. on campus now the good news is is if someone does take 10 or 20 extra drinks and they should they're stuck here for campus security not miami yeah. garden security you know so it, 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 it there's some advantages but it, but it gives it gives from like from my standpoint, I open the back door or when I'm driving by, you feel like you're at a campus environment where the fraternity and sorority houses were having their parties and everybody's they're having a good time. So it is kind of cool on campus to see that. And but the problem what I was getting to is that a lot of those kids never make it to the stadium or in the past yeah. they wouldn't make it to the stadium because they were in the parking lot still. But I, this is what I don't get what people say. They always say this. They're always like, oh, my God, you guys live so you're, you have to, uh, an hour drive to the stadium. I'm like, an hour drive? Unless it's a Thursday night game, it's not going to be an hour drive. And I said, second, we have 13,000 students. Right. That's it. Right. Literally, yes. they're not going to make a difference when it comes to the seating, really, because let's just say 80% of them show up to every game. So we got another 9,000, 10,000. We're not Penn State where 50,000 kids take and up our half the stadium. doesn't have... That many students that are going no, to yeah, so 
I, I think that's what makes Miami special. And that also is a little bit of a disadvantage when you compare it to like schools like Penn state, Michigan, yes. those giant student bodies. Um, but like, like Harry said, most of your Miami fans are the ones that have lived down here and they lived through those eighties and nineties. Yep. And even like you said, that short run, those are your, those are your true diehard Miami fans. Um, and what's nice and what, and I'm not, in any way, shape, or form, say anything bad about the smallness of Miami. In fact, I think that's an advantage. I, I'm not an advantage. I, I love that part of it because when you are having success, everyone's having success. Mm-hmm. Success. You know, the majority of people on campus, especially when I was there. I mean, there was four thousand people, maybe, on campus, and we knew everybody knew everybody, and so everybody was part of the success that we were having. Not only the football field, the baseball team, the basketball team, the girls' basketball team. I, we just had like a, man, it was cool. we had, we had a run right in, in that 2000, early 2000 era. I think that year that we won the national championship, the, the baseball, baseball team, team too. Yes. Yeah. So there was, yeah. And then the basketball team finished and you know, they, they got knocked out in the elite eight and then the girls basketball team went to the sweet 16 or the elite eight too. I mean, it was just an awesome time to be on campus. You talk about like a big high school. We were a big high school that was having, you know, big time national success. But, uh, you know, the other yeah. thing has changed, Matt. When you were around, we had events, we had functions, and now they don't have that. So I, I literally don't know five players on that team. Maybe, I mean, that's being generous when I say that. Um, and that, to me, kind of bothers me because... What changed it? Well, Nevin Shapiro definitely blew yeah. it completely out of the water. But it was declining a little bit even before then. Um a little work to do that, you know, and, and, and I always felt that, and I had been a past president of the Hurricane Club, I'd been involved in the fundraising and, and more importantly, some of the events we did, we did celebrity waiter event, we did golf outings, we, you know, had a state tour, we went around the state and did events, but to me, it was always one of those things, if I broke bread with a coach and or players, I'm a lot more understanding and forgiving when they fumble the ball, strike out, miss a foul shot, whatever it is, or a coach, you, you know, and I've been around these guys very fortunate. You know how hard you guys worked. You know how hard your coaches worked. None of you ever wanted to go out and lose to the best of your ability or lose the game or the coaches missed birthdays and anniversaries and Christmases because they're working, trying to get you guys prepared to go into battle. And um, But the friendships that I made, you know, like when I was sitting there the other night and I'm thinking, you know, there's probably 12 guys in that room that their first autograph session was here at All Sports at the time. You know, and and when I invited you in for an autograph session, Matt, I knew you and you knew me. In fact, you came to my house for dinner one one night. But but now the last legal. No, it was legal. You were were entitled to an occasional, occasional. I thought you had to be the um, not the golden cans, but I thought you had to be the the scholar family to get the the dinner or the lunch. I had I had Matt. I had. Freddie, I had, I mean, there were like five guys, Ken Dorsey. I mean, it was, it was a cool night. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. That's some color to that group, man. Come on. To Harry's defense, defense, we had to tell the athletic department that okay. we went over right. to You had to submit it. You had to submit it. But you were allowed to have an occasional meal. Yeah. Now they cut that out. But I, see, I always felt that, it, one thing that's always weird to me is you could come to my house and I could feed you. But I couldn't, like, go next door at the restaurant and feed you. And I was like, well, like if I was going to do anything illegal, it'd be easier to do it in illegally my in mm. my house than yeah. it would next door at a restaurant, you know? But, but you, you bring up a great point, though. 
like it it was a bigger family atmosphere and it wasn't as isolated as it feels now it does no it's hugely isolated now it feels isolated even for me as as an ex-player who bleeds orange and green same thing for brian i mean but you're even down there you guys are down there harry you too i you know i consider you they're part of our team our program at that time um just as much as anybody else um it does I, I, I it does feel isolated and i think that that's what felt so good about this weekend when i went when we got back down there together it felt unisolated for a second there and right. i i don't know you know i think it's because you know coach rump was on the team he's coaching and i it just felt like you brought back that alumni and the current team and it kind of meshed for a second and then it felt good. And cause I know when I was down there, I, I mean, how many times did Warren Sapp come to practice? It felt like every other day, you know, he was there. Like when I, or whatever it was like Kenny Holmes, those guys, when they had an off or an off week in the NFL or they were playing the dolphins, they were at practice. And when I got to the league, I knew those guys already. Like they were my boys already before I even got there. And I never even played with them. And like, I just, I, it feels, and I, and I know there's alumni and I'm not saying that alumni is not involved. I know that they, they are, it just feels more isolated. And like you said, Harry, it's easier to throw darts when it's isolated like that, when it feels isolated anyways. No, you're absolutely right. When, when I only met or I only know Matt Walters from watching him on TV or from my 30 yard line seat, it's easy to say you're SOB. You know, you suck. Or, 30 you know, yard whatever. line seat, huh? Man, you're living good. Right. That was you the old, that was the old big days. time. <laughs> VIP, 30 yard. I got to get in your life. But oh, no, you know you're what? You, 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 you don't even get me started, man. Don't even talk about that. <laughs> Matt, you're right, though. But, you know, I think uh, I think a couple things equate to that. And I look at it, started with the Nevin thing. Then we all got booted from the sideline. And we didn't get as much access to the team during the whole Nevin Shapiro thing and the um, – um, sanctions, right? And then once we got Al Gold and Al Gold, didn't really he didn't rub us the right way. He didn't really want us around, anyways. It, it seemed like you didn't wear a tie. No, I didn't wear a tie. No, <laughs> no, not at all. And then Coach Rick understood it and tried to bring it back as much as he could with yeah, what the school I, would let him do. I, I, I felt like yeah, during that era, the Rick there, he made efforts because I mean they reached out to me to you know, come as well. So I obviously that's, they're making effort at that point when they're reaching out to alumni. But something you mentioned, I think also has to do with it. You know, nowadays with the individuality of selling yourself in college to make money or social media, look at me, it's not that whole family brotherhood where I'm looking at you as like an older brother. Let me pick your brain. Let me, let me talk to you as much as I can. It's more of like, Oh yeah, he's a great. And uh, Hey, how you doing? And then just keep it moving. So, man, it's, it's, it's crazy you bring, you bring that up. Uh, it shows on, like, even individual plays, the way that, like, a guy will celebrate a play. I said this the other day. Uh, and it it bothers me, not because the guy's doing some dance or whatever he's doing because he just made a tackle, but, like, when we celebrated, it was together, and it was, like, even motivational, like, if John went and made a great tackle, he had like three tackles in a row, you know, me and John, when one year were fighting for the tackle lead, you know, he'd come back to the huddle and be like, bro, he's like, I got at least five. And he'd tell me, you know, like, and that's the way we get hyped. Like, Oh man, I gotta, you know, I gotta go get some, like, I ain't gonna let John pull away from me all of a sudden on, on the tackle chart. Um, and so, but at the same time, like I was so stoked for John to make that play. 
like I was all up in his grill every time he made a tackle because I was stoked for him. The same thing. He was up in my grill when I made a tackle. It was more of less individual celebration than it is now. I, and I feel bad for the guys. Like, I'm like, man, where's your teammate? Yes. Like you just made a hell of a play. Like, I want to see your teammate over there getting you hyped, not you doing your little, little well, cool you, dance or whatever you're I doing. I wish we had video to see that little dance that matches did right there. <laughs> yeah, I, you, uh, come on, man. I used to, there we go. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying this out of like, out of uh, being conceited or anything, but man, I, the, the West End Zone, I used to have my little thing with the West End Zone crew. There you go. You got to, you got to have a little swag to you, man. I'm telling you, if you're you the token, you got to have some swag. knew how to, to motivate you guys and, and motivate everybody else. And the, you know, they were coming, they were there early and they stayed late and they weren't leaving. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I think they, they really set the standard at, at the Orange Bowl. But look, that's what that that's what pissed me off literally a couple of weeks ago, and it was when we lost to North Carolina and James Williams, number zero, one of the few right. guys that you look in this defense and go, okay, we got a dog. That dude's a dog, like he could play back in the day, and he had the um he had the hit on Sam Howell in the end zone, and all of a sudden there was like three or four North Carolina dudes around him. And there was not one Miami guy. Right. Yeah, really. yeah. Not exactly. one Miami guy had your back, came over there, said nothing. I'm like, yo, where are your teammates? Like, this makes no sense. Well, I did so, see in the game the other night, though, when our quarterback, you know, when Van Dyke got hit pretty hard, one of our players got a unnecessary roughness. Good, because I hope somebody I, ripped I him from the last game. Right, exactly. But that was a that was a good thing to see. And then and then and then in another game when uh, James Williams he had an interception. Only the other freshman kid, James Taylor, was the one that came up and celebrated with them. I'm like, yeah. yo, back in the day, I remember when dudes and, and the teams I played for made a, like a big hit or interception. The whole defense mobbed him. The whole yeah. defense yeah. mobbed him. You didn't have to make a big deal of yourself because no. we were going to make a big but, deal of you. But, yeah. but, do you. but do you think that there's a division on this team right now, on old versus young, maybe, that that's one of the reasons that you're not seeing that? What? I mean, look. I can't speak for it because I'm not in that locker room. Right. But I can tell you this. There's a lot of butt hurt older players on this team that these younger dudes are taking their spot. But it's like Matt even said earlier, if he didn't if he didn't do right, Vince was going to be right there to take his his reps. It's the same thing now. You got to do more than the freshman to keep your job. If you ain't doing it, the freshman deserves to be in if he's if he knows the playbook. And he's running 110 miles an hour practice. I agree. I 100% agree. Just 100%. because you're a junior or senior doesn't doesn't mean squat. It doesn't mean anything. You don't uh, mean squat. Like, uh, who are we talking to? We we're talking to Santana Moss, right? And he kept talking about, you know, CJ. Coach CJ, obviously one of the best wide receiver coaches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Still with the Saints. He used to tell him, bruh, I'm recruiting somebody right now to take oh. your job next year. And all the dudes would be like, shit, ain't nobody taking my job, <laughs> damn it. But it's it's the truth, and that's what made you better. I mean, look at the defensive line they had in 2001. Who are the guys they came after and who are the guys that came after them? It's You have to stack talent for a dude that's just sitting there looking like, bro, I hope you slip up once because don't let me get a play. Don't let me get a play. I'm not coming off the field. And, and really the big key is is when you get that play, you perform and do it, okay? That's because the, yeah. we've seen guys come in with the opportunity to take over. Oh, they fumble the bag. And they just they don't do it, you know, and you're going, but 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 you're a five star. Or you're a, you know, it's like, dude, that was your opportunity. You talk about burying a, burying an opponent and like taking their will is when you got your starting guys and they're out there playing and you know whatever, and you feel like you're doing a good job, 
And then finally that guy gets tired and like, whew, all right, now this next guy comes in and he's just as good, if not better, you bury your opponent. Yep. Like he loses we, we his doing that for he loses his will. Like, days, right? And and see, unfortunately, and, I don't think that I don't think we have that right now on this defense, right? And that's the thing that well, gets me angry, and you probably see the same exact thing. There are certain positions. Why the hell are you rotating in the first quarter? Why are your linebackers rotating in the first quarter? Because our our drop-off, when you see our, our linebackers rotate, it drops off. I don't care. It drops off. So, yeah, there's a – I mean, again, I'm not trying to throw darts at anybody. There, there is things that are frustrating to watch, especially on the defensive side of the ball, even in that last game. You know, I'm sitting there talking to the guys during the game, and I'm, I mean, great, exciting game. We won. I don't think we played that great a defense that game. Um, and I think the biggest thing that bothers me, even it goes back to the self, celebrating by yourself, and it's maybe this is part of the tackling problem. I don't know. I just feel like it's always one guy making the tackle too. And that like we joked with DJ, we'd be like, dang, DJ, you would have never got to play a game at the U if they had that targeting rule. He's like, wow, man, he's like, I used to duck my head. No, you didn't. You used to target us. <laughs> How many times did you bruise my kidney? DJ, you speared me in the back. He's like, oh, I was just trying to get a piece, man. I was just trying to get a piece of the play. I'm like, yeah, I loved it. But like, that's the difference. I, I, I mean, obviously there's, there's talent. There's a lot of things that play into that as a group, but. Well, I thought I just the other night, we, we probably did the best job attacking all year long, don't you think? We did. We did a pretty good job. And that's, not, and that's not a good thing because we were still weren't but, that good. But we, we didn't play that great. Well, and I just, well, like, like, like I, said, I will shout out though, Kitchens, okay? Uh, yeah, this. Fourth one. down, out there all by himself. Those are great plays, and man. He made that play because, again, a, a couple weeks ago, that guy not only breaks a tackle, course, he might have gone for a touchdown. That's when you had 26 but, and 21 in. But again, he shouldn't be on the field if this is Miami. I agree. And and in the majority of the time, that was a great play. And there's there's a lot of great individual plays made. But like even getting back to them celebrating by themselves, when you had three or four guys on every tackle, you didn't have to celebrate by yourself. Nope. You know, we were right there already. Like you you didn't have any room. But you know what? Get up and do anything, man. Your boy was going to tackle you. Take it back to practice. And if you guys aren't running 110 miles an hour, you're not going to all run and swarm the ball in the game all of a sudden because you're not going to yeah, break your habits. Yep. Yeah, and, it goes back. There's a lot. And again, we're not we're, – we're armchair quarterbacks right now. but Of course. We're old dudes screaming yeah. at the screen. I'm cool with that. Yeah, but again, I, I also want to be fair. Like, and, and you guys know. I mean, Harry, you've been around the program for 30 years. Brian, you played. Like, I want to be fair. Like, those guys are working their ass off, and we are all behind them 100%. 100%. Even though, like, we get frustrated. They're, they're – they're, hopefully – Hopefully they are just as frustrated. And I think me and Harry kind of talked about that. We just, we'd like to see guys on the team, players, if they're losing or they're making a bad play, I want to see you wear it on your sleeve, man. I want you to, I want to see you that you're hurt. Like, not that you don't care that they just scored. Like, I, I hate, I hate that when they score, it seems like guys don't care. They just kind of walk back over to the sidelines. Man, we were so pissed. If we, if we let somebody score on the opening drive, they just don't look pissed to me. Man, maybe you guys, I just can't see. You, they, guys, were, you guys were pissed in practice when y'all let somebody score, man. I remember being a scout team getting banged for no reason, like Dues and Vilma and Shanti, everybody. Trail, you pissed off because it's a pride thing. It's like I'm holding my brother accountable to do your job, and when we win together, we win together. When we lose, bro, this ain't 
no, it ain't happening. They ain't scoring no more on us. And that's that's another thing. You you just like you said, it pisses for me, especially when I watch games with former defensive players. It pisses them off when you don't see dudes gang tackling, dudes show emotion afterwards, getting giving up a big player, giving up a touchdown. It's like, yeah, it happens, and then just go mosey on to the sideline. Like you want to see these young men be frustrated, be pissed off, and then motivate them for accountability later on. Look, yeah, what it's not even the outcome of the game. Like you said, it's not, or like, win or lose, well, I'm okay. Not, obviously, I won, won every game, but like, if you're if you're playing with heart and you're showing heart out there and you still, you know, bad play happens, whatever. Cool. Cool. Like, I know you are, you're put your, your, your heart's in it and we're, we can work with that. Like, we can make that happen. We're going in the right direction. You know, we talked about that. That's what I saw. When I went to Miami, my Miami visit, I saw heart on right. those guys in that. And you in can that watch any game. Session, that was heart. You can watch any game, Saturday or Sunday, and there's going to be plays you think are good, and there's going to be plays you think are bad. But most of it comes back to execution and, and desire to finish. You know, we've talked about it all season long about tackling. You've got to want to tackle. You've got to want to make contact. You know, but at the end of the day, every play works if you execute. Every play works if you're doing your job that you practiced all week long for, you know. And the coaches only get you in the position. Now it's your turn. Throw the ball, yeah. catch the ball, hold on to the ball, yeah. tackle the guy with the ball. All there. And yeah, and go back to what Brian said. It I don't I mean, I don't know what they can do different. I know everything's different now, but you, I mean if you're only trying to execute at seventy percent Monday through Thursday, you go out, you know, when that's that that game moves a lot faster. If you're only going 70%. I, and again, I'm not saying they're not practicing hard, but you just, you, we were forced with my, with our team that we had, we were by each player, we were accountable to each other. We were forced to go 100, 105% during practice. No coach had to ask you to go that hard. Um, and so when the game came, it slowed down for us. And I think that's why we executed very well. Um, and if they're not, doing that now in practice, you're going to see a lot more mistakes come the game time. And again, it's not on coach Diaz. It's not on coach Rump. It's not on a lot of these coaches for them to go out there and have to motivate the players by themselves. That's part of their job is to get the players ready and motivate them. But it's also, it's in the locker room. It's, it's Brian being the punter, you know, coming up and telling me that, you know, come on, let's go. You're going to stop him? What are you going to do here? You're going to let him score on you again? You're going to let Frank on the scout team score on you again? Come on. Well, that, that, that's a good good lead-in in the sense that back we heard back when, you know, Butch left, your team went in and told Paul D, we want Larry Coker. And then the, the story was is then you kind of went to Coach Coker and the staff and said, we got this. And you guys kind of drove the bus through the championship year because you all took ownership of the team that Larry Coker was the coach of. Is that true? Yeah. In a sense, in a sense it was, they didn't, we didn't need, if, if, if people knew how vanilla our game plan was, they would probably be like, you're kidding me. <laughs> but we didn't run a lot of fancy stuff. Like coach Shannon knew he didn't have to like, cause there was talent. Well, no, just because you didn't have to, I don't know. Like sometimes I feel like you, you got to dial up a blitz to get 
a big play and get guys fired up to do something. I got to make something happen. A coach feels like they got to run a scheme, make something happen, or even dial up a big play on offense in a situation where you might not want to do that because, you know, we really just need three yards on first down. Because if you get three yards on first down, almost 80, 90% of the time you get a first down. Uh, and I think sometimes like the lack of either execution or whatever it is out there that, you know, coaches have to feel like they need to make up for that. And it just makes things worse. And that coaching staff never felt like they had to make up for that. They managed, they managed the game. And when everything's clicking like that, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And the players are out there. It makes it easier on us too, just to, you know, to, to play the game. So that's the thing. Let them do their thing because they are motivating themselves. And that's what, you know, everyone says, Oh, it's the coaches. No, it's not. No, it's not. Look, coach saw would always say one thing, bro. Bro, you need to go look in the mirror, bro. Talk to yeah. that guy first. You know, yep. he was there at the reunion, and again, the, he told it like it was. He did not sugarcoat anything to anybody, whether he was recruiting them or whether they were in his meeting room or on the field. He never sugarcoated. He told it, bro, just like it was. When when things would go, I'll say, like a little awry during a game, Coach Shannon would call the same play, which is our base vanilla. He'd call it 10, 15 times in a row on defense. Guys would look at like that. Me and Vilma would call the play and they look at like, again and like <laughs> weird. That's it. Like nothing fancy. <laughs> Just go back to the straight vanilla and play. And that's it. And we, we would buck up. Like we knew what we were doing. Nobody had any questions of where they had to be or what they had to do when we were in those base defenses. And Again, that was going back to Harry, that going back to what you were saying. Like, yeah, like kind of everybody kind of kind of knew and that hey, Coach Coker, Coach Shannon. I mean, these are great coaches. They're they're very good coaches. You know, don't 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 feel like you gotta overdo something here. Like we're you could feel it. Like we are we're heading in the right direction. We're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna make this happen. So yeah. I mean look, little pieces. Little pieces. You keep seeing some little pieces now. You know, there's there's some nice pieces on this team. It's got to start somewhere, right? It's got to start somewhere. Two good recruiting classes, yeah. you know? And you see some of those dogs that you can see for the future, right? And they're young, right? You got 0-24 and in defense. You got uh, Brewster on offense. Van Dyke looks great. Receivers are starting to really put it together now that they're putting the right guys on the field. Arroyo, the tight end, smooth really route. Smooth. Yeah, really smooth. Nice. You know, the yeah. defensive line. They got some guys. The offensive line's Gelling, they're playing better. I yeah. mean, it, it, it really, it, it's good to see the effort coming to a positive. I mean, th this week they won in a close game. The last two weeks they lost in close games. But you're seeing effort and you're seeing a little bit more. And it, it's contagious. The more they can get this together, hopefully the better it is. And this would be a great week to get back-to-back -back wins against Pitt. Mm. I, again, I think we started off this conversation before we even went live with, like, man, how – great would it be to go in and beat Pitt this week and get that momentum rolling, get the guys believing themselves because there's three guys sitting right now here having a conversation that want them to succeed as bad, if not worse than anybody else. Like they we want them to succeed. We want them to be good. We want them to feel that success. We want them to, uh, you know, we want them to become that team that we know that they can be. We want them to, Especially, I mean, coming from the 2001 team that was just there. That, that was a lot of the conversation we had. Like, we're like, bro, man, we just, man, we want that for them. 
Like we already got it. Like we got to experience it. We want you got, we want somebody else to experience it too. Cause that's how, I mean, that's how good it was. Ain't no better feeling than winning boy. Ain't no better feeling. And if they can go up to pit and pull another upset against a top 25 team, man, that might give them the momentum to go ahead, turn this thing around. That's going to be the hardest game left on their schedule. And you can ride that out. I'm not, that's a tough. T- I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but if they if they're able to do that, they and maybe that's uh, and I, again I don't know. We're not in the, not not the three of us aren't in the locker room, but no. maybe they just need a little. They just need to believe in themselves, and we believed in ourselves. I knew, I believed that I could play with anybody in all of college football, uh, and so did everybody on that team. Like it wasn't that we were overly confident. We just believed that we'd put in the work that we pushed ourselves in practice uh, enough or to the point where it don't matter who shows up on the other side. I can play with you. Whooping that ass. That's what we doing. Well, you know what? We'll take it, right? We will take that. One, one game at a time. We don't get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know what? Saturday. You, you, you like you put the work in, as Matt said, you, well, you, you do your homework. And then you got and play the best of your ability. And, and you know, the, having these young guys start to take reps from some of the old guys, hopefully it makes the old guys step up so when their opportunity's there, take advantage of it. Show them that you can do it. And if you've it's got depth, how, it, it just solves all our problems. Yeah, it's funny how contagious it is because prior to the NC State game, now we won that NC State game, I'm sitting there at work today. And, I you know, I'm, I see the ad come up for the game on Saturday and I get a little bit hyped. I'm like, all right, it's already Wednesday. Like, I'm already looking forward to the Pittsburgh game on Saturday. Whereas before that game, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to, not that I, I mean, I look forward to the game every week, but I just kind of felt like it was more of like a frustration. But yeah. like, like Harry said, and like you guys said, man, things feel like they're coming together a little bit more here and there, a little bit more guys, but a little, you know, they're wearing their heart on their sleeve a little bit more here and there. And I, I mean, I, I, I hope, I pray. I want these guys to go in there and whoop Pittsburgh's ass and like for that just to be another stepping stone in the right direction for them to just keep going one step at a time. We'll make it happen. A little success can go a long way. You beat two top 25 teams back to back. You know, this is what his second start as a, in a road for a quarterback. And then there's only his fourth start ever. And he's put together some, some nice games and this one being the best game. And if we can go ahead and start off fast, Start out with another touchdown like we did this game. That is where you're going to see this team get success because now they're going to get that that energy and that hype we, and that we belief. We need some turnovers this week. We do, but the one thing that Pickett does not do turn the ball he over. He does not turn that's the ball over. That's why we, right. we, we need him. Yep. He, he that's going to be a Boston. That's going to be a Boston College type game. Exactly. They do not turn that ball over. Pitt's pretty good. They're a good team. They are. It's just, got 23 so touchdowns and one interception. And we're just going to have to go out there and beat them the old-fashioned way. That's it. You know, they, they right now they, they got some players dinged up. You know, they're starting running back out. He's out. Um, their big play receiver, he might be out. He's got a pass con- concussion pro- uh, protocol. So, you know, we'll see. Listen, you know. Well, we got some guys out, too. Who we got out? Well, we got two running backs and a starting quarterback. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, but they weren't playing last right. game. No, you know, I don't like, think we had any major injuries this past game, right? No. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess Bubba. Bubba. But, no. um, but he was probably been playing injured, so it was just better. Yes. So, so they say. So, so they say. Right. So, so they say. Matt, we appreciate you. It was great seeing you this past week, and I, I know I'll see you in baseball season, if not sooner. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, it's always great to see you, Harry and Brian. Thanks, buddy. 
Good Appreciate to see you too, that. Enjoy Bahamas, you know what I'm saying? Spearfishing, fishing, yeah. all that good stuff, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> during football season, man. I don't, I don't go during football season. No, no, no. Off-season, off-season. Off-season when we, off-season. Off we get on the boat. Exactly. All, all right, right brother. Take it easy. All right, I appreciate it, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Another good one, Brian. Yeah, man. You listen to that and you listen to the reunion. You, you get a little envious of that because of what they had and stuff like that. And obviously, I snuck up into the box a little bit to come say hello to you guys and say hello to Coach Coker. And you just see them. They're just they're just happy to be around each other and the stories and everything about that. And you only, like you said, you only hope that these guys now have something like that in the future. But it's going to take them to come together as a group, not to be individuals. You have to come together as a group. And once you have group success, that means everybody's going to have success, no matter what you do. It doesn't right. matter if you, you – you'll at least get a workout in the league. And even if you don't make it in the league, even if you're successful in college, it's going to help you out with the job after college too because then there's going to be more people gravitating towards your team because you guys are good and because you guys are successful. And that's where opportunities come with jobs and everything else because, by the way, y'all ain't going to have 17 first-round picks. You just you ain't y'all ain't gonna have forty some fifty some people no. in the draft. You're just not. So it's one of those things where the more you guys have success here, the more you guys will be successful after college because a lot of you guys aren't gonna play in the league, and that's okay. There's only one percent or two percent of guys that make the league anyways. Right. They make the league got to work out here, here, and there. I think too many guys are concerned they're gonna play in the of league course. before they do their job of in college. Course. And, and I just I, the one thing I don't hope that somebody brought up a good point. Um, the reason why a lot of guys in college are hungry is because they don't got a lot of money to eat. They don't come from a, a, a great background. And it's that is that pain and that hunger and that anger that drives them to go put in extra reps, to go run some extra laps, to go put in extra film. Well, now do these guys get too comfortable because now they got 20000 extra in their, in their bank and now they got fifty, sixty thousand 60000 in their bank and they're in driving a, around in a, in a nice car. In a nutrition food center oh, yeah, open, you know, all, all day long. All this free, free so, food left and right. Does that like take anger and pain away from some of them guys? Because I know some of the teammates around me that are the most successful that I've been around in the league, they're angry. You know, they, they, what drove them was when they were hungry when they were 10 years old or seeing their mom working three jobs to get them out of a bad area. Like, do the guys still have that? And I hope they have that because 20,000, 60,000 ain't going to take you nowhere in life. 100,000, I don't care. Let's say, say, D'Eric is the, the biggest one with NIL. He's got 100K. They ain't taking you nowhere. You can sit there for a little bit and be comfortable. Cool. Get After taxes, you have what? 60, 65? Well, and again, NIL is only going to get you so far if you're not succeeding and playing well on the field. Okay. Exactly. I guarantee you this. After this year, all those companies are going to rework their deals and figure out, okay, cool. We signed Spencer Rattler to this. He got benched. We signed um, Big Cinco, the Clemson quarterback, to this. He's not playing great. Right. De'Ara <laughs> King, we signed him to all this. He's hurt, he's hurt for the other year. Bubba Bolden, he's hurt out of the year. So now all these companies are going to look and say, okay, we saw what we did. Okay, so we got to do year-by-year contracts. Maybe we got to do incentive-based just like they do in the league and go from there. Well, I, I think it was a learning experience for both both sides, and I think a lot of these kids overpriced themselves, and oh. a lot of companies threw some money out there. You know, we had Joaquin on, and he talked about, well, it was a business decision. I'm not doing it. As an alumnus, I might do it, you yeah. know. But you, you sit there and look at some of the bigger deals, and you look at those players now, and you're going, dude, <laughs> We just lost some money, didn't we? we you know, we so, lost some. So you um, better, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I just think that the whole nil thing was kind of 
a blind leading the blind scenario. That's the NCAA for you. And well, thank you, NCAA, for another fine job. You know, again, what I like about the NCAA is nothing. I, I used to have a shirt that said no clue at all. The facts. You know, facts. So. They, they really don't. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, a week before. All right, guys, everything's legal. Go. Like, yeah. what? You it don't was have 12 a plan? hours before. Even worse. Wow. Look at that. I even gave him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt of a week. Yeah, I know. Well, don't ever give him the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, Eesh. Brian, another great show. Appreciate you. Another good time. We miss Platon. We'll uh, see him next week, hopefully. He's big time. He's a big lawyer, man. Yeah, like man. He's got to do what he's got to do. All right. All right, Canes fans, appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, we out. <laughs>